latest episode of the Championship Roundtable. I'm your host, Jake Jackman, and you can reach us by emailing us at thechampionshiproundtable at gmail.com. Hi, my name's Thomas. I'm the editor of uh, wallsblog.com, a website, unsurprisingly, about Wolverhampton Wanderers. And you can reach me on Twitter at wallsblog and at facebook.com forward slash wallsblog. Hi, um, yeah, I'm Matt Cutler. I am an Aston Villa fan, a sport business journalist by trade. Uh, you can find me at Matty Cutler on Twitter. Uh, I'm also the founder of yeah, the SB Weekly Podcast, which you can find at SB Weekly Podcast also on Twitter. Okay, thanks for joining us today, guys. We'll start making a round where each of us have a few minutes to discuss what's been happening at our clubs this week. We'll start with you, Thomas. A good win on Thursday. Paul Lambert's first win in charge, I think. So you must be feeling slightly more positive than you were last time you came on. How are you currently feeling about Wolves? Uh, I like you say, I'm feeling better after after getting that win in the bag. It's been uh, it's been a long time coming. I felt incredibly low uh, the weekend before after losing to Sheffield Wednesday. A really terrible performance. Um, so yeah, we, we we really needed that. Uh, not not a lot's really happened. It was a pretty low profile profile week. We just knew we were coming into this game, and we and we knew because of how the fixtures had worked out. Um, we Wigan having won the previous week, uh, beating Huddersfield uh, in the week. Then we knew that if we if we didn't anything but a if we, if we lost, basically, we were going to slip back into the bottom three. Um, so avoiding defeat was a, was a big thing. But then when QPR went down to 10 men, obviously um, that, that changed the perspective of the game. We needed to go on and win it. And, um, and thankfully, we, we, we did that um, quite convincingly. It looked like being for a long time because we got two goals up. Uh, should have killed it off with a third, fourth, and even a fifth, maybe. But we didn't do that. And then QPR got a goal from a set piece, sloppy goal to give away. And then they threw the kitchen sink at us. Um, so it ended up being a scruffy win. But any win will do for us. Um, just hope that it's it's a building block to, to start something. Because um, we've only been going in one direction for a long time. And we need to address that. Because I, I certainly don't think we can adopt the mindset that we're too good to go down. Because uh, we're not too good to go down. So, um, so yeah. So, good week really because it it, it looked like we were gonna we we're in for a, a long struggle after the after the Sheffield Wednesday game, but um, but we turned it round. So hopefully, better things lie ahead. Yeah, it does look like a much needed win after nine games without one. Do you think that this is a good opportunity to kick on now? I mean, your upcoming fixtures, you've got Fulham at home, Cardiff and Nottingham Forest away, and then Bristol City and QPR before the new year. Do you think that this month could be a big one for Wolves in terms of climbing out of danger? I think it's got to be. It's got to be because, like you say, those fixtures, you couldn't probably ask for much better ones. Um, they're, they're, like you guys, that old cliche, there's no easy games in the Championship because there's about a line of litmus paper between most of the teams. But those look like decent fixtures on paper. We've, we've got to put a run together. Um, so, yeah, that's that's exactly what we'll be looking to do. Um, I would expect that we'll be spending some money in January. So um, it would be nice to, to be in a position to attract certain players because if we're... If we're at the bottom of the tail end of the championship, we're not going to be able to attract a decent calibre of player. Whereas if we're sort of, we've managed to get two or three more wins in December, get up to that sort of mid-table area where you think, well, maybe with a decent run, we might do something. You might be able to attract a slightly a better calibre of player. So that that's on my mind. But I think um, primarily what we've got to do is is just be looking at staying up. Um, actually, funny, and it's a bit of a clang, this one, but... 
when Paul Lambert was brought in, he actually invited um, a selection of the bloggers and local sort of fan sites to come and meet him. And he gave us two hours of his time down at the training ground, which was really good. Um, and he actually asked us firsthand what our, uh, you know, expectations were. And, and, and everyone just, most people were sort of realistic in, in what we were inheriting. So we just need to stay up this year um, and, uh, and, you know, and look to build something um, moving ahead for next year. So I think that's, that's realistically what we've got to do, um, you know, baby steps, get away from there. So any, as long as we stay up this season, that, that's what I'll be what I'm aiming for. Uh, Thomas, sorry. How did you um, how did you find Paul Lambert on on first impressions? What did you think of him? Uh, well, he's a really really nice guy. I mean, first and foremost, just couldn't have been more sort of low profile. Walked in, shook everyone's hands, very warmly greeted everyone. Um, I think he he said in during his timeouts after he left Villa, um, he, he'd spent a lot of time going around Germany, and he, you know he, he'd been at Dortmund, been at Bayern Munich, been Barcelona and Real Madrid, and just basically absorbing how these these clubs are run and how the managers are working. And he said the thing that he took from his time at Villa that is he he just he took too much burden on things. You know, he took too much on his shoulders, felt too much pressure. You know, acted very sort of erratically and aggressively. Where he, he sort of learned to calm down a bit. Um, so he said one of the things he learned was the importance of running the whole football club. Club not just about. Um, what he can influence the team, but how he can influence the whole club. So I think inviting us down was kind of an effort to sort of galvanise the, the support a little bit. And then also for him to get an idea of what the types of thing we were hoping to see from him. And, and even, you know, he asked us opinions on certain players we liked and didn't like and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, he was very open, very engaging. Um, he, he said, you know, he's got very, he's got very straightforward ideas about football um, he said he doesn't think it's rocket science, uh, which isn't always what you want to hear. Because I think these days football fans want to hear managers with big ideas and philosophies and stuff like that. But um, I think he's got a very clear idea. And I think in the championship, he's, he's proven because of what he was able to do with Norwich. And I think he did a pretty decent job at Blackburn last season. So he's a bit of a, I, I do think he's a bit of a no frills sort of pragmatic kind of thinking manager. Um, so yeah, I, I wouldn't say he did a lot to change my opinion of him before I met him, but um, he he seems like a good guy, um, and I, I and I think he he's a, like I said to Jake after we sacked uh, Walter Zenger, I felt we needed that safe pair of hands appointment, and I think that's exactly what he is. He's a safe pair of hands appointment. Yeah, just moving on to you now, Matt. Obviously, it was disappointing at the weekend where you got your first loss under Steve Bruce, but I'm guessing you're a lot more positive about Aston Villa since the managerial change than you were beforehand. What were your thoughts on the weekend? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's it's a kind of a, a small blip on a, uh, a kind of a positive few few weeks and months for, for us under Steve Bruce. Um, it was funny. The, the Leeds game was a very, very funny game. We've been, you know... V- Villa have not been playing well this season. You know, it doesn't take me to tell anyone that. And we've been really, really improving the way we played, particularly when we played away at Brighton, which I think was two week, two weeks ago now on the on the Friday night. Uh, which oh, I went, I, I live in London, so I went down to went down to see it, and we played we played really well. And I was speaking to a few Brighton fans when I was there on the train and things like that, and they were like saying that Villa were the best team that they played all season, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, and you know, and I definitely saw that firsthand, and yet, yet we, you know, 
playing Leeds, uh, well, on, on Saturday Saturday evening, we, we I don't know, we, we seemed a completely different team. It didn't help that Grealish didn't didn't play or, or only played the last 20 minutes. You know, Villa are a very, very different team when he's playing. A lot more creative, um, a lot more confident on the ball. Leeds, Leeds kind of sat back and they're almost inviting us to, to attack them. Yet, we, we just, everyone seemed a little bit off. So I don't quite know. The, the, the momentum seemed to just just not go into that that Leeds game. Jo- Jonathan Codger, who you know we've been really pinning our hopes on since he signed from Bristol City, he just didn't seem too interested in the game. You know, he had a few chances on the on the ball. Didn't seem to be you know didn't seem to be comfortable. So I don't I don't quite know what what went wrong. Um, Steve Bruce seems pretty kind of calm about calm about it, but. To, to be honest, Leeds, Leeds were on a, on a good run, but they were they were there for the taking, and I, I just think Steve Bruce maybe got his maybe got his tactics a bit wrong, or didn't prepare the guys uh, enough in advance. And, and also bear in mind that Leeds came, you know, Leeds played in midweek, you know, uh, and I think maybe went to extra time, or at least played, you know, played a pretty serious game against Liverpool. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't quite know the answer. Don't know the answer to that. Yeah, looking at the league table, Aston Villa have only lost four games all season, which is fewer than Newcastle <laughs> and Reading. I think only Brighton have lost fewer games. So for me, as an outsider looking in, it seems that Aston Villa are on the verge of going on a good run and sort of cementing themselves in that playoff spot. It's just small margins at the moment that it's preventing them from doing so. Do you think that's a fair reflection on the whole in recent weeks under Steve Bruce? I mean, you've been unbeaten, but you've not been putting a run of wins together. Do you think it's, it's only a matter of time before that does happen? Yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, I, th- I think you're right. And, and our defence seems to be pulling together now. You know, our um, you know our fullbacks, uh, Jordan Mavi is, is playing playing very well. And uh, you know, Alan Hutton, I was you know I was reading on Twitter, he got a bit of stick for uh, how he played against Leeds, but I thought he was pretty solid. You know, he's he's a, he's a bit of an old timer. You know, he's uh, he's been around the block for a fair few few years now, and he seems to have a solid you know a solid game. And James Chester. And Tommy Elphick, who's back in the team now, having been injured, I think we've got solid, solid back four. Um, it's it's the goalkeeper who, who, I th- and I don't want to kind of preempt what the conversation we're going uh, across the next kind of hour or so, but <clears throat> I, th- I think the goalkeeping area is something we need to address in the, in the transfer window. Uh, you know, we you know we conceded two goals against Leeds, and the first one was was a cross that's come in, and you know Gallini. Who's you know our first team goalkeeper? He you know flapped at it and crosses have been a real bugbear of his since since he signed. And and to, to be honest, mistakes more generally, we've lost we've lost way more points than we should have due to goalkeeping errors. Um, so I guess yeah, I, I think we've got Wigan coming up um, next weekend, and you know Wigan are you know languishing in the relegation zone. But it, I don't know. I'm, maybe I'm being slightly depressed about the whole thing, just off the back of a back of a loss. Um, things, things, things are looking up. That's to say the least. Even though it didn't sound like that from <laughs> the last ten minutes of me ranting. Just moving on to Newcastle now. Obviously, we've not had the best week in recent history. We've lost three games now in a row. It's it's not great, but I think I think it's not. Uh, for bad performances. I think in, during the week I was out there against Hull, uh, we dominated a Premier League team for, for nearly 120 minutes and we were quite stupid 
to give away the lead once we had it, especially as they had 10 men. I think uh, we dominated the game well. I think Benitez is right after the game said that we we failed to manage the situation, and that's something that we're going to learn with experience. Still a very young team, and it's, there's only been 19 games this season. It, it, there's a lot of work still to do. We're far from where we want to be, but we're going in the right direction. I think it was a positive on the whole t- with that whole game. I'm not sure we would have got much further in the cup, even if we'd have beaten Hull anyway. So it's, it's, it was, a, I guess, a missed opportunity to go to a semi-final, but it's something that we're going to have to move on for. We want to get promoted first and foremost, so that has to be our main goal. So I, that was disappointing on the night, but it's not something I'm going to look back on and, and be too disappointed at. Then we moved on to Friday's game, and that was, that was definitely an eventful game for many a different reason. I don't really like criticising referees, but it's difficult not to in this game. He got a lot of decisions wrong, not only for Newcastle. He got um, he got decisions wrong for um, Nottingham Forest as well. It, it wasn't it wasn't a great game. It was just a major decision seemed to go against Newcastle in this one. Uh, we'll start of start of the uh, the red card to John Joe Shelby. Um, it's probably a fair red card. I've seen worse kickouts, but he definitely did kick out, and it's difficult to argue with that. I think Lansbury wasn't didn't come out of that looking well himself. I think Benitez was very angry with his own reaction and his own actions. I think he sort of provoked Shelby. And he could have easily seen red as well. Um, you, see, you see situations like this in a lot of games. And at the time, a yellow to both players could have been fair, but I'm not going to be too critical of that red card. I think the problem with this is that um, it wasn't a penalty. I, I think if you read the rules, if, if there's a foul off the ball, you give a drop ball, you don't give a penalty. But the penalty was saved anyway, so so that was so that wasn't a, a big talking issue. And then we had the disallowed goal from Kieran Clark, which I think probably wasn't shouldn't have been disallowed. I, I don't see what's wrong with that. Kieran Clark himself was held uh, a few minutes earlier, and we didn't get a penalty for that. And I didn't see the difference between the two incidents. I think if you give a penalty, if if you don't give a penalty for Newcastle, you can't give a foul against us for that goal. So I think that should have been allowed. And then we then we take the lead, and I, I think with ten men we were, we were still the better team in that game. I, I thought with ten men we could have went on and won it. We got the goal through Matt Ritchie, who hasn't scored recently, and I, I thought we were going to push on then. And then it was just such a another stupid decision from the referee. I think this one was the the big talking point. Firstly, I don't think it was a penalty. I think Lansbury's already going over. He's looking for the foul. Paul Dummett does put his hands on him, but I don't think it's enough for a foul. And even if you do give that penalty, you can't give the red card. They've changed the rules. They've, they've made it so you don't do the double punishment. You don't give the red and the penalty. But that's exactly what that referee did. And then Carl Darling saved that as well. We went in 1-0. It was an extraordinary half of football. But at that point, you you just, you just can't win a game with nine men. It, the physical demands of it are impossible. We gave it a good go. We played very well in the second half. We did everything we could. And it took them till the 85th minute to get that, that winning goal. Um... There was talk about the first goal being offside, which I guess there's an argument for that as well. It was just a very bad game, but it was. I, I thought we played well with nine making all, all things going. I think Benitez did. He didn't go to defend. He went to a four four three one. I think it was, and a lot of managers would have just packed the box and sort of got men behind the ball. But I think Benitez tried to play it quite well, and I think that sort of did keep us in the game. But I, I can't complain too much. I mean, nine men against eleven. It's not a fair contest. I think. It was just one of those games, and we lost another game. Um, I think Bright, it was lucky that Brighton did draw the game against Cardiff. They could have went top of the table, but that didn't happen. So we are still top of the league, but that's three defeats in a row now. And I don't think we deserve to lose three games. I, th- I thought we were the better team in each of those games. It's, it's a big learning curve for the squad, and it's going to be interesting to see how they react to next week. 
Jake, I um, I mean, I was watching that game and I just, I just the, the standard of refereeing and also kind of Henri Lansbury's or whatever you say his name, his, uh, you know, his behaviour was, you know, pretty diabolical on both those decisions. Just r- ridiculous, really. Do you, um, I don't know, I noticed this in the, the Villa-Lees game um, on Saturday evening as well. The, the standard of refereeing for, for both teams really seemed to be pretty, pretty poor. Is that... Do you think that's and I'm interested to know in Thomas's view on that? Do you think that's a, a trend that you're noticing this season in the championship, or are we just being really grumpy, grumpy fans? I I think it's there's definitely a, an argument that the refereeing in the championship is is maybe a lot lower than the Premier League. There's a, definitely a significant difference. I've noticed that um, there's been a few games this season where the blatant decisions haven't been given either a for or against Newcastle uh, penalties and things like that. It seems on the big decisions, they're very variable in what they give. And, and, and it seems with each game, each referee has a different prerogative. Sometimes they're very card happy or they're very happy to give decisions. Others are reluctant to, and there's not that consistency that you get in the Premier League. Do, do you think that's fair, Thomas? Do you think that there is a difference? I mean, you know the league a lot better than we do. Yeah, yeah. Is that a barbed insult? Is that a bit? Uh, the, uh, yeah, I mean, I think in the championship, what you just tend to get is you just tend to get one of those games where a ref will just completely lose the plot, like it was against Newcastle. You know, the the Forest game for Newcastle. I think in the Premier League, you get you get dodgy decisions or a ref that has a a few in a game. But in the championship, you you just tend to several times a season get a, a game where just refs make diabolical decisions. I mean, last season. Uh, no, two seasons back when we played Bournemouth, I remember we had a ref and he gave some absolutely shocking decisions, two or three, sent a couple of players off and he just lost the plot, lost the control of the game completely. Um, it's difficult to know whether the, the standards is, is is good or bad. I mean, in our game against QPR, I mean, they had they were sent down to uh, 10 men. Perch got two, two bookings, but they were probably about right. And then both teams probably should have had a penalty because there was two handballs um, that the linesman and the ref didn't give. So I mean, I don't know. I think what I think in the championship, all the games are a lot tighter, and it's a lot much more physical league. So I think you're asking the ref to make a lot more decisions. Um, so I, I think it's um, I think it's probably harder to referee a championship game than it probably is to referee a Premier League game in a lot of respects. Um, so I, I would say that. I would say that there is there has been many times a season where I've thought the referee could have done better, but I, I don't know. I, I wouldn't say it's gone downhill from necessarily from from recent seasons. Well, didn't the Aston Villa Birmingham game get refereed by Mike Dean? Am I right in thinking that? Uh, I can't <laughs> really remember. <laughs> fair enough. I, I I did think that did happen. It might have done, but if it didn't, then fair enough. Um. <laughs> Well, they occasionally get sent down, don't they? That's the punishment for a, if a referee has a... It's quite a funny thing, isn't it, to think, well, the referee had a really shocking game in the Premier League, so we'll go and send him down to referee a really important championship game or something to that effect. It's like, we should have to suffer bad refereeing because a ref dropped a clanger in a Premier League game last week. So it's, um, yeah, it's a, it is an interesting one. But I, I, I'm, I kind of... I kind of think no referee goes out to deliberately think I'm going to put one over on a team. So I think you just have to sometimes accept the, the rough with the smooth, don't you? That you, sometimes you're going to get a bad ref and you're going to you're going to cost you, and sometimes you'll you'll get the benefit of the decisions. Uh, I don't think it always evens out over the season because some teams always get more bad luck than they get good luck. But I think you've got to be a bit philosophical about it. 
Yeah, I, th- I do think a lot of the local journalists in Newcastle have spoken about how Rafa Benitez has been slightly surprised by the officiating at this level. And if it, maybe he, he was a bit more vocal about it, so it, it, he hasn't been. He's been very sort of diplomatical about everything. Even after the game on on Friday, he didn't criticise the ref too much. He was mainly focusing on Lansbury. So I think I think it's it's definitely an issue, but it, every team has it. Every team's going to get have decisions against them for them. It, it's it's going to even itself out to, to, use a, to use a football in Cleveland. It's going to happen, so I'm not going to complain too much. I could be here next week talking about how we've been come on the right side of decisions. So, yeah, it's just one of those things you have to deal with. All teams have it, so I'm not. It's just been. It was just very disappointing how how it, two of our players got sent off, and it sort of ruined the game. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. But moving on to the topics, both of you have had uh, new managers at your clubs recently. So I just want to talk about both of those. How do you think they've settled in and do you think they're the right men to take your club to where you want to go? Uh, we'll start with you, Thomas, on that. You spoke a bit about Paul Lambert earlier. I just want to know what you thought, what your reaction was when he was appointed and how do you think he settled in both sort of PR-wise and, and on the pitch as well? Has he made any decisions that have shocked you or brought anybody back in? I just want to hear how he, how he sort of settled in. Yeah, I mean, I, firstly, when we spoke after Zenka got the sack and I, I said this was the type of manager, it was the profile of the manager that I wanted. I wanted someone who who was a serious contender, you know, not someone who was just plucked out of George Mendes's phone book like Walter Zenga was. I wanted someone we'd heard of, someone with championship pedigree and someone who I felt still had something to offer. And I think Paul Lambert is all of those things. I mean, <clears throat> I know that, you know, he had a struggle at Aston Villa Matt will probably have his own view on Lambert, which I'd be interested to hear. But um, I I think he's generally got a pretty decent CV. So I was happy when he came down. And then obviously one of the first things he did, because he came during the an international break, and like I say, he invited a load of us down to the training ground, sat down with us, answered all our questions. Um, and I, I got a generally good vibe from him. He said he wanted to come and play on the front foot. He wanted his, He wanted us to be getting at teams, um, even though most people said we just needed to sort of salvage this car wreck of a season, he was like, no, you know, if we put a run together, this league is, is you know, open to anyone, which is right, really. If you do put three or four wins together, like Villa have shown, you can change your perspective of a season. Um, and then we started with a, uh, a nil-nil at Preston. He put out a pretty defensive-minded team. Uh, he immediately promoted one of the uh, youth players straight into the starting lineup. So he made a, a, a couple of big statements of intent there. I think he sort of said, well, I'm going to make us much tougher to beat, which we kind of knew he would try to do. And also made a statement with with bringing the young lad in up front to say that, you know, any the, the door's open to anyone. We signed 15 players in the summer, but he was happy to just overlook a lot of those players to bring in a youth team player. So it sort of made that statement that nobody's position in the team is safe and everyone's got a chance. Uh, so it wasn't spectacular, but a solid point at a, a decent Preston side who were on a good run. Then we had the disappointment of um, Sheffield Wednesday's first home game in charge. 
Again, he put out what looked a very defensive-minded team, which was a bit disappointing because we, you know, we've got quite a lot of good attacking players. And what I think we were hoping to see from Lambert was to give us that bit of defensive resilience, but also get the best out of the attacking players, Costa, Cavalero, Bodvarsson, players like that. Um, but he, he didn't start with Cavalero against Sheffield Wednesday. Um, we were 2-0 down fairly quickly and we did very little to try and get back into that game. Uh, so that was that was very disappointing. That was a that was a low point. And we were already looking over our shoulder. Um, and then QPR was obviously, it felt like a big game. It felt like a game we, we needed to really show something. And Paul Lambert needed to show a bit more and he picked a much more attacking team. He went for three up front. Um, he played those three players. He, well, he played he played Noah Dicko through the middle, Costa and Cavalero wide. So it was a proper 4-3-3. Um, and after QPR went down to, to 10 men, that, those three players really came to the fore and won us the game. So I think that was good because it showed that Lambert was willing to reflect on on perhaps mistakes he'd made with the previous team selection and and go back to the drawing board and come up with a different plan. So um so I, I'm impressed with him because you know not many managers will will sit down and talk with with fans for that long and um and and show a real appetite and, and really share his ideas. So um so I, I do think he's the right man for the job and I, I do think he will ultimately do what we need him to do this season. Um, and then it'll just be a case of whether next season we're able to really push on and, and do something because that's when the microscope will really be will really be on him. You did mention Jorge Mendes there. Obviously, with this new sort of uh, since the takeover at Wolves, there've been a lot of players coming in and things. Do you think that there's a possibility that Lambert might not be given the time he needs at Wolves if things don't go to plan? Because some some of these new owners can be a little bit trigger happy, and it it could be that. Um, if the, if Wolves don't climb out of relegation uh, trouble too soon, the, the pressure could increase on him quite uh, quite a lot, and it could be that you have a, a lot of managers in and out of the club, like we've seen at, at the Leeds and Blackburn in years gone by. Is that a fear you have, or do you think that he's going to be given the time that he needs to sort of take Wolves where you want to be? Uh, yeah, I mean it is a fear because whenever you've got a, your own by consortium. It's the kind of decision that tends to get made. But what I would say is the general vibe coming out of uh, Wolves over the sacking of Zenga and bringing in Lambert is that Fosen, the, the group that own Wolves, know that they made a mis- they've made mistakes. I think they knew that getting Zenga in and then buying all these players who have no experience of, of English football or the championship that and expecting to immediately be able to mount some kind of promotion tilt was was completely unrealistic. So I think they've they've taken advice from people in the club. Kevin Thelwell, who's the uh, director of football type person at, uh, at Wolves, he's now taken seems to have taken more firmer control. He was the one who sort of seemed to headhunt Lambert and and put his name forward and say that he would be the right man for us. Um, so I I don't I think he will be given time. I think he will be uh, given some money to spend in January. And I think he'll be given some money over the summer. I think as long as we do stay up in any form, even if it ends up being a little bit more of a struggle than we'd like it to be, um, I think he'll he'll get another go at it, proper go at it next season. Um, and, uh, you know, he'll have a chance to, to build his own team, which I think he's right. And when we sat down with him, one of the questions he was asked was, will you be able to dictate the players you want? You know, will you be able to shape your team? 
you're not just going to be giving more players in January that you, you don't really want, which is what Zenga had to do. He was just thrown 15 players and said, right, make that work. Um, and Lambert said, yeah, you know, I'll, I'll have a, a say over who's coming in and, you know, I'll be helping identify players. So that bodes well, because I think that's what we need. We need over the next one, two transfer windows, we need Paul Lambert to be saying, these are the players I want. And he talked about proven championship pedigree. And funnily enough, what, one of the few players that he actually name-checked was uh, was Lansbury at Forest, um, which is quite funny because he's been in, obviously, he was in the headlines against Newcastle and against Barnsley in uh, another game where that player sent off. But he name-checked him as the type of player who who could just immediately hit the ground running if he if he proved to be a target. So, um, so yeah, so I, I think in January we'll, we'll get a few players in. And I think generally with Paul Lambert, I get the feeling we'll, we'll be all right this season. So, um, high hopes. And moving on to Villa now, Matt. Obviously, Steve Bruce is very much a safe pair of hands. Uh, he took Hull off last season. He's got a good record in the championship. Uh, he did well at Birmingham, uh, ironically, as well before. How have you rated him since he's arrived after Villa? Yeah, it's, I mean, he's 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 been brilliant. Um, I mean, I, I, I've kind of through my journalistic kind of day to day, I've spoken to a few people who you know work in and around the club. And even though Di Matteo, you know, his CV looks looks pretty good. You know, he got particularly five or so years ago, whenever it was, he he, he was in charge of West Brom, got them promoted. You know, so he has that kind of championship pedigree. But I don't think, or from what from what I was told anyway, he wasn't the type of person to really go in and kind of shake up a shake up a dressing room. Bearing in mind, we've got very similar squad uh, to the squad that performed so you know dreadfully in in the Premier League last season, um, and I think that is the the main difference with Steve Bruce. He's come in there. He's, he's that kind of respected figure. Um, he's, he's been able to to shake up that that dressing room and and just really give the you know the proverbial kick up the arse to some some players who who really needed it um, and so to be honest you know the, the type of football hasn't really changed changed that much it's more so that the players have just been performing performing a little bit better um, and bringing the best out of some of the players who at the start of the season weren't really, really, really performing that well. You know, even 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 a kind of a Jonathan Codger who is only really kind of apart from the odd penalty. Um, at the start of um, the season, from or from when he signed, that's you know that's um, you know he's he's really started to perform since Bruce has come in, and I don't really think that's that's a coincidence. And you know, as you were kind of alluding to, I think he I think he just knows exactly what what it takes to get to get a club promoted. Although saying that, it's slightly worrying about how he set up against against Leeds. Um, because that almost almost made me think to, to the contrary to that. You know, he, 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 for some reason, he kind of tinkered with the you know, tinkered with the formation, put Rudy Gashad up front, having you know he, he hasn't started a game in, in a long time, didn't seem to quite work. So that so that kind of gives you you know some alarm bells. But you know th- that is the first loss in I think kind of eight or nine games since he's come in. So 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 you know the signs are positive. We just I think. If we scrape the playoffs, I think that's probably realistic. I think, you know, you hear some Villa fans getting a bit carried away saying, you know, first or second, automatic promotion and all that. But I think, you know, we'd take sixth now all day long. 
was it a fear of yours after he was appointed that his past, you know, uh, successful Birmingham would go against him? Because I know Alex McLeish wasn't maybe the most popular man on uh, when he arrived at um, Aston Villa. Do you think it's the same problem for Bruce or do you think that that's going to be overlooked? Uh, because he is obviously the type of man you need to rebuild the club after the last season. I, th- I think, uh, well... The beauty that Steve Bruce has is that he he didn't come directly from Birmingham City, which which McLeish did, and kind of fans have <laughs> very very short memories, and so I think that that kind of time away from uh, time away from you know that 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 extended period of you know of years in between Villa and Blues kind of didn't make it too much too much of an issue, unlike kind of McLeish coming directly from from Birmingham City, um, and also you know he's, he's they've they've played the PR game quite well. With with him, you know, saying you know he's saying stuff like Aston Villa's the club that you know I've been waiting for for twenty years and, and things like that. Which you know, I'm a journalist, so I'm slightly cynical about the whole thing, but that's the kind of thing that that the everyday fan wants to hear, isn't it? So uh, I don't think that's too much of an issue. Um, no, I, I don't think that's a problem. Moving into the second topic for today. We're now in December. Obviously, we've got a busy Christmas period ahead, but we're going to be looking ahead to the January transfer window now. I just want to know where each of you think your club need to strengthen and do you have any players that you think maybe could be moved on? We'll start with you, Thomas. Yeah, well, again, going back to that meeting with Paul Lambert, he said that the the squad was too big, basically. Um, I think they've got something like 30, 31 players. He thinks that's too big. he wants to reduce that by about six, seven bodies, but he also wants to bring in some of his own players. So if we assume he brings in two or three of his own, we'd be looking to move on like 10 players in January, which is a, that's a, that's a lot of movement. So I think some, there are a couple of handful of loan players who might be sent back. who haven't really featured as much. Um, and some players who sort of hung around a bit longer than their, their, their sell by date. So, I think January will be quite a busy month again for Wolves, just like the summer was. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, I think there's going to be massive, massive uh, fluctuation in the in the squad. Uh, I think the the type of players we need, we need to get in another striker. That has to be uh, a priority. Someone of proven Championship ilk who can rattle in ten to fifteen goals, hopefully over the second half of the season for us. Because our strikers, unfortunately, for all their their qualities, aren't putting the ball in the net, and that's uh, that's a big problem. So someone like a Jordan Rhodes, for instance, that that's whether we could be able to tempt him down from the Premier League to a team struggling at the bottom of the Premier League is uh, is another question altogether. But um, but yeah, someone of that ilk would be where I think we need to to prioritise. And as for the players who moved on, I I, I don't know. That I couldn't name that many specifically, you know, who who aren't really featuring. But it, it could be any it could be any one of the <laughs> ten to twelve players who aren't making the match day squad at the moment. So I won't run down the whole list, but um, plenty to choose from. Yeah, I guess I guess you mentioned it there that that Paul Albert will be given some say. Uh, with in uh, terms of targets, I think that during the summer you brought in a lot of players that hadn't had experience in the championship. But I think you've learned that, uh, or at least the the owners have learned that, that that can't be done in this league, and that, that you need to have players that that have played in this league, and you need that experience. You mentioned Jordan Rhodes. There is there any other players that you sort of uh, would like to talk about that you'd like to see Wolves bring in in any other positions? Well, I mean, I went. I, I actually what I did last week because I'd like to see us buying either. 
players from other championship clubs. If we've got all this money, which we supposedly have, it would be nice to go and just prey on some of the teams who, who perhaps haven't got as much money. So, for instance, uh, Nottingham Forest, they're, in, they're trying to sell. I don't know whether that sale has gone through or what they're doing, but they seem to be in a bit of bother. So they've got the lad um, Asomba Longa up front and he's scored some goals for them. He's got, I'd like to see Wolves go and say to Forrest, right, we'll give you eight, nine million quid for him. Uh, he's scored goals in the Championship whenever he's been anything close to fit, so we'll, we'll take him. And then I'd like to see us go into the Premiership clubs and the teams who, the players who aren't in those teams who are struggling to get a game, like Jordan Rhodes, um, and, and using this money that we've supposedly got to, to tempt those players down. You know, that's the tactic I'd like to see us pursue. Probably not that likely. Um, that's why I talked about the need to climb the table ahead of January, because if we're 10th or 11th, three or four points off the playoffs, uh, a player like Jordan Rose might think, yeah, we, we might be able to have a push at this. Whereas if we're a couple of points outside the relegation zone, it puts a different slant on it altogether. So I think that's, that's why this is a, a kind of a key period for us. Uh, but in terms of positions, I just think we need a, a striker and probably a, a commanding centre-half um, because we've got numbers in most of the positions. We're not short in any areas, but I just think the players we've got, we're just, we're just bloated with options and, and not many of them are any better than the others. And that's the, that's the chief problem. Yeah, moving on to Aston Villa now. Obviously, a lot of money was spent in the summer. You've still got quite a big squad for the championship, but where do you think that you will strengthen? Because I'm sure Steve Bruce will want to bring some players in. And are there any players that you, you would like to see let go? Uh, yeah, I, I think we'll definitely see some... I think we'll see another couple of signings coming in. I mean, yeah, you're right. We, I think we spent best part of 60 million quid already, which is almost <laughs> hard to believe for a, for a championship club. Um <clears throat> The, the goalkeeping situation is a bit of an issue, but um, I don't know whether they'll bring someone in. I, I'd like to think they would. Uh, I mean, Golini's come in for the season. Um, every, you know, he came in with people saying he's going to be the next next Buffon. Um, that's definitely not the case. <laughs> I can I can tell you that. Um, and you know, Mark Burns struggled with a, with a couple of injuries this season already. So it does seem to be a little bit weak in that goalkeeping department. But you know, I, I don't quite know who who they they would bring in. Um, I think we, we got a little bit unlucky with so Richie Delay came in at right back from Leicester um, in the last transfer window, played a couple of games, and then you know did his you know he was out for the season doing did doing his knee in. So I don't I don't know whether maybe there'll be another defender coming in. Um so I guess so if I were gonna guess whether there'd be a couple of signings coming in, I think it would be either goalkeeping and or in the defensive department. But you know we've got we've got we've got a massive squad. There are plenty of uh, we, I mean we must have the strongest bench in the championship. I mean going into that Leeds game we had you know Jordan AU who we signed you know for I think maybe 10 million last season. We had Jack Grealish, probably one of the, the best young players in the, in the league. Um, and a couple of other, you know, big name, big championship names, at least, on the bench. So I, I don't think the size of our squad is an issue. It'd be interesting to see whether people come in for Villa players. I, I would suggest someone like a Jordan AU, who at times doesn't seem interested. Uh, I said it on this podcast before, you know, just doesn't, is a great player, but doesn't quite seem motivated for the championship, whether... You know, a, a, a kind of a lower tier Premier League may may come in for a couple of Villa players. That would be 
interesting because I don't quite know what would happen in that situation. Um, but I think um, I, th I think we're we're lucky in in that we have a big squad of decent championship players. Um, so I think Steve Bruce will be pretty happy with with what he inherited. Yeah, I, I, there's one Aston Villa player I'd like to ask you about who I think Premier League clubs could come in for, and that is Jordan Amavi. I don't think that will shock you too much. He's been linked with Liverpool quite a lot. Uh, last season, he, he did well in the Premier League before his injury, and that may have been why he didn't get a move in the summer. Do you think he's a player that you, you might lose in January, or do you think that he, he's going to stay for at least the rest of the season? It's a good it's a good question. He was, I mean, he, he, he is a good player and he got very unlucky. I mean, last season he, he broke his leg when he was playing for the French under-21s team. So he's, he's got, he's got that, he's got pedigree. I think he's good enough for the Premier League. Definitely. He's, there's some question marks I would suggest about him defensively. Um, he's not great in the air, which you can really prey on. And when we noticed that against Brighton, um, a couple of weeks ago when they were putting big, big, long diagonal balls up against him with, uh, I think, I think it was Glenn Murray. He, he was beaten every time, but that's probably due to his height, isn't it? You know, it's not the tallest, uh, tallest fullback in the world. Um, but going forward, he, he is, he's brilliant. He's, you know, he's, he's as good as a, as good as a left winger. Um, so, so you can, uh, whether he could play at the very, very top level, good question. I'd, I'd be surprised if he could, break into the Liverpool first team. Um, although saying that, they conceded four goals this weekend, so so maybe it'd be a good addition. Um, but I I think I think I think the because he's only come back from injury, I would suggest that a Premier League club would be taking a big gamble if they were going to come in for him with any kind of big money, which which what is what it would require to kind of to, to sign him from Villa at, at this moment in time. In terms of Newcastle and their transfer business, I, I like Villa, we spent a lot of money in the summer, but I, I'd expect some more business in January uh, for a couple of reasons. One, I think John Joe Shelby could be missing for a very, very long time. I'm not I'm not sure what's going on with his uh, sort of stuff that's going on with Wolves as well. Uh, Thomas, you might know a bit more about this, but the, the racism sort of thing that's going on, I think he's probably going to get a ban for that from what I've read. He's going to well, be missing... There must be some sort of evidence to substantiate the claim. I'm guessing it's not just because apparently the Roman says the the player who supposedly abused didn't he wasn't even aware he'd been abused. It was some of the other Wolves players um, and obviously grassed them in, grassed him in after the game. So, but I'm guessing there must be some evidence. Just if it's just his word, if it's just a couple of players' words against. John Joe Shelby's, I can't see it seeing the light of day because, I mean, John Terry got done for it, but he was basically caught on video camera saying something and then he had various testimonies. So I, my guess is that he'll get a fine and a slap on the wrist. That would be the guess of my best guess of the outcome. That that would be positive for Newcastle. But from, from what I've read, it seems to be uh, Shelby has a witness, the Wolves player has a witness, it's sort of going to be, you know, one word against the other. I don't know what's going to come of it, but it, it's, if he does get banned, it's going to create qu quite a problem for Newcastle because he is 
our most important player. And I, I would go as far as to say on his day, he's the best player in the championship. He, he can run games. He was running that game for half an hour at the weekend and then he got sent off. But uh, it, I think if, if he is does get a substantial ban, then we're going to have to bring in somebody who can, who can play a similar role because we have nobody in the squad that can do that at the moment. I think a, a creative midfielder is something that we need. Uh, maybe not one that that can be a regular first team player because I think that's Shelby, but maybe somebody like a, a Connor Horahan from from Barnsley. I think we've been linked to. He'd be quite a good addition. I think he's got six months left on his contract. That's running down. There's going to be a lot of clubs in for him, and I'm surely Barnsley will want to get some sort of fee uh, and not let him go on a free because he's quite a talented player. So, so somebody like that wouldn't would be quite good just to give us a bit of extra squad depth in that in that role in particular. Uh, I, and we've got quite a few players going to the African Cup of Nations. I think we've got four or five. Uh, Mo Diame is one of them. So I think, again, that, that shows that we're going to need another body in central midfield uh, over the course of January, at least. So, so that's a position I expect us to strengthen. I expect Rafa to probably bring in two or three. Uh, he might do so with a view to next season. Uh, players that can push on in the Premier League and maybe not so... Uh, not starters this season, but players that you think will be more suited to the Premier League and get them in for six months and get them adjusted to the squad and things like that. So I, I expect us to bring in two or three. Uh, a a, a midfielder is definitely one of them. I think a striker as well. Uh, Mitrovic has been linked with a move when he, he might go. So if he does go, we're going to need to bring somebody in to sort of compete with Dwight Gale because I don't think Daryl Murphy is going to be that man in the long term. I think he's more for this season rather than next. So I'd, I'd quite like to see us bring the striker. And in terms of players leaving, I think Czech Teote probably has to leave. He nearly left in the summer. He's not really played a part this season. He's going to go to the African Cup of Nations. So, so maybe he's not going to leave in January, but he's one I'd like to see leave. And I'd like to see Matt Sells, the goalie we brought in uh, in January, uh, no, in the summer. I'd like to see him leave in January, even if it's just a temporary move. We got Carl Darlow. He's he's not going to be shifted from that number one spot. We've got Rob Elliott coming back from injury. I don't think we really need Matt Sells. I, I think a move away would be good for him to build his confidence back up and maybe come and compete next season when we if we do get back into the Premier League because I think the the Championship hasn't suited his game at all. He struggled with the physicality. He's been at fault for a lot of goals. So I think maybe a, a temporary move back to Belgium might be a good thing for him. So he's a player I'd like to see leave on loan. Um, but yeah, I expect us to do a bit of business. But just moving into player watch now, just like to talk about a player that impressed and disappointed in your most recent fixture. We'll start with you, Thomas. So who played well and who disappointed for Wolves this week? Um, let me think. I think the the standout player for Wolves was probably Helder Costa, the the winger. Um, he's he's been our shining light this season. Him and Dave Edwards have, have been the ones who've been making the the meaningful contributions in the final third for us. Um, and it was him him and Edwards again against QPR. But um, we were one nil one nil up, um, and we knew that if we didn't get the second, QPR were always likely to score. And they did end up getting that goal at the end. So that second goal was all important. He, he received a, a cross-field pass out wide, um, instant control, beat about three or four players and drilled in the second goal. So that kind of quality is what we desperately, desperately needed. Um, so he, he effectively won us that game, I think. So he, he's the one we need. Unfortunately, we've only got him on loan from Benfica until the end of the season. So I don't think whatever happens to us, um, he'll be hanging around because someone will have seen enough in him to to take a chance on him, even if it ends up being Benfica getting him back. 
Um, so that that will be a shame. But hopefully, while we've still got him, we can make the most of him. Uh, on the poor side, I I will be picky and go for Cavalero on the other wing because this guy was our record signing. I think we paid something like seven to eight million quid for him in the summer, and he just doesn't. He shows glimpses of of brilliance, and you can see that there's a player in there. Um, but his end product is too often lacking. He's too hit and miss. A lot of Wolves fans are saying he hasn't had a sustained run in the side, which is possibly a, a fair point. But unfortunately, in the glimpses he's shown or the games he has started, he hasn't quite done enough to keep justifying his place. But he got a start at Loftus Road and he did OK, but he was very hit and miss, whereas Costa was far more dangerous, far more threatening and direct. And that's what we need from Cavalero. So he, he should get a chance in the, the next few games to, to stake a real claim. And I think getting more out of him could be the, the difference between continued struggles and, and, and climbing the table. Moving on to Villa, uh, who played well and who disappointed for Steve Bruce's men this week? Um, I mean, so so Jack, I mean, Jack Grealish, a lot has been said about him. And, you know, I've said a lot about him on this podcast over over the over the months. Um, but just to reiterate what I said before, yeah, Villa, Villa are a very, very different team when he when he plays. You know, he's he's very, very comfortable on the ball. He, he makes things happen. He, he can take the ball from the from the centre circle to, to the attackers or, to, you know, to the, you know, to the opposition box quickly, taking players out of the game. And you saw that when he came on against Leeds, um, you know, we, we, we became the attacking force that we, you know, we should have been from the, from the kickoff. So he, he he's impressed. I mean, I, th- I think Steve Bruce said that the reason he didn't start against Leeds was due to um, a trade, Oh no, sorry. They said that on the commentary. I haven't looked into it too much, but they said it was he had a had an in, some training ground incident with Mark Bunn, our goalkeeper, which put actually Bunn out of you know out of the match day squad and Grealish on the bench. So I don't quite know what the what that was, and maybe he'd been suffering with some kind of stomach issue or flu or some kind of cold. Um, so that was the re- but but he if if he's fit, he needs to start for Villa. There's no, there's no question about that. Um, he, you know, he's he's easily the the difference between winning and losing for, for Villa this season. So he's he's impressed, and he was he was great when he came on against against Leeds, but just wasn't given enough time enough time to to make a difference when we were you know one nil down, um, one nil down when he came on. Um, in terms of players who you know need to you know need to try harder, need to maybe not on the team, um, it it just comes back to. Sorry, this is my slight bugbear, but but yeah, Pierluigi Gallini, he he looks dodgy from from crosses. Um, he he doesn't look comfortable taking crosses. He's seems to be a decent. You know, this is funny. This this cliche we say is he's a good shot stopper, uh, of which of which he is. But I don't think that's quite enough to be a good goalkeeper or, or, you know, a top class goalkeeper these days, you need to have that all around game and being a good shot stopper and not being able to take crosses. Uh, I just think that's not, it's, it's not, it's not good enough these days. Um, so, so he's, he's been disappointing and, you know, he, the, the first Leeds goal on the weekend, you know, it was a cross he came and, sh- and should have got, he just, just got beaten to it. Um, and, and the second goal, even though, you know, it was in the 90 plus whatever minute, he, you know, just went under his body. Should have saved it. Um, not, not that I'm saying 
his saves lost us lost us the game. But he's made a few mistakes this season, and that's it's just it seems to be history seems to be repeating itself too much. Um, so yeah, Galini and Grealish, the two ends of the spectrum, I'd say. For Newcastle, uh, the player that impressed probably won't be too much of a surprise, but it was Carl Darlow. Um, he was returning to his old club. It was a, a a big match for him, and he played very well. He, he made some very good saves. He, he obviously saved two penalties um, from two, diff- two different players. When the when the situation, it, you know, you could have been forgiven to, for losing his head. A lot of Lucas players could have, but he sort of stayed in it, stayed focused, and saved both penalties and kept us in the game in the first half. Which uh, he's been one of our most improved players this season. He started off as our number two. He's worked his way into the first team, and since he's got into the first team, he's made he's been excellent. I think he could be the long term number one for Newcastle. I, I was reading an article on him earlier where the um, one of the local journalists said that. Benitez wasn't convinced by him when he joined, and obviously he, he, he's worked very hard, and, and now he's he's the number one, and he deserves a lot of credit. So he, he's probably the person who impressed most in that fiction. Although everybody worked so hard, and and, and there wasn't anybody that played badly, or at least those that stayed on the pitch. No one played badly. It was just one of those games. The person that disappointed, I, I've talked about him in a positive way a lot this season, but it has to be John Joe Shelby. He was running that game for the first half an hour. Um, Nottingham Forest couldn't get close to him and when he's in that mood he's just unplayable but then he also has that streak in him where he could do something out of the ordinary something ridiculous to, to sort of ruin that and I think that's why he's at Newcastle and not at a bigger Premier League club because he, at the age of 24 he's, he's got the ability to, to go so far in this game but he's just got that streak that, that stops him from doing so and, and that showed against Nottingham Forest he, he was provoked by Henry Lansbury it wasn't. It wasn't all Shelby, but he should have known better than to react. You know, was, he gave the uh, referee a decision to make, and he, and he made it. And he, that sort of that was the beginning of Newcastle sort of going downhill. And, and, and he, he put us at a disadvantage, which got disadvantaged further by Paul Dummett. But it was it was Shelby that started that, and I think he he's the main reason we you know that happened. So he needs to learn to to, to temper. Uh, to, to manage his temper a lot better. I think working with Benitez is, is only going to be a good thing for him, but it, it just reminded us why there's still those doubts about John Joe Shelby, and, and, and he needs to work on that, and, and it was slightly disappointing. But moving on to next week now, um, we've all got matches, uh, big matches for uh, big matches for all of us all at home. We'll start with you, Thomas. You've got a home match against Fulham, which I guess is going to be a good barometer of where you are at the moment, because they were coming in with a 5-0 win after... Uh, of the, I'll completely go again on that. Moving on to match previews now. We've all got home matches next weekend. We'll start with you, Thomas. Uh, a match against Fulham. Obviously, that's going to be a good barometer of where you are at the moment after their impressive victory over Reading. How do you see that one going? Uh, I look at it and think it's a good fixture for, for Wolves right now. I think Fulham, just even though they picked up this season, they're still quite an erratic team. They're the kind of team that will go and beat someone 5-0 one weekend and then lose to a you know, crappy team like us down the bottom the next week. So I think that the timing of the fixture is quite nice. But then we could we could still get slapped if we don't turn up. So I think it's a, it's a good opportunity for us. Um, impossible to say uh, how it will go because I, I think Wolves are, are capable of, of brilliance and complete catastrophe. Um, so I, I, I don't really have a strong view on how it will pan out, um, but I think we, we need to get the wins. Like you said, you read out our fixtures for 
for December and a lot of winnable games, particularly at home. And we've been so poor at home this season, it's been untrue. Uh, I think teams have enjoyed, teams always enjoy playing at Molyneux, the big pitch. Um, they seem to thrive on it. So it, it, it's always difficult for us. But I think this season we haven't really got at it. We haven't used the attributes we have got effectively. We haven't got our best players into the game at home. I think some of the team selections have been pretty poor. So I'm just hoping that, that Paul Lambert sticks with primarily the team that, um, that beat QPR and that that team get out and play on the front foot and use the confidence from the, the victory against QPR to go and really put in a, a positive result. Because now is the time for a couple of back-to-back wins to get us up to uh, you know more towards that, that clutch of teams in mid-table. So, um, so yeah, so high hopes. How it will go. Uh, I, if I had, you're asking me for a prediction, I think we might edge a very, very narrow win, something like 2-1, just because a law of averages says we've lost four games, home games in a row. Surely we can't lose five in a row. Uh, so, yeah, on that basis, I'm thinking we do a performance. I think we might get one. And Matt, Aston Villa have got a home game against Wigan. They're obviously second bottom in the table right now, so I'm guessing you're expecting a win in this one. Yeah, I think I think everyone is, and to be honest, I think we we need to. We haven't quite had a result yet where we've 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 spanked a team, which I think is coming at some point. Um, I mean, even even Rotherham, we you know we didn't we weren't that convincing. Although that was at the start of the season when we weren't you know we were when before we were going on this this run. Um, so yeah, we, Wigan, we're at home. Our home form seems to be good. As long as everyone's fit, Grealish starts, uh, Codgers firing, uh, we definitely at least a win. But I think we'll, we'll all be looking for you know a two-three goal margin. Um, but you know what it's like in the championship. We'll, we'll take we'll take we'll take a win regardless of the margin. Um, but hopefully a comfortable home win. And if that doesn't happen, you can all. Take the mick out of me on Twitter. <laughs> not too, not too soon after. Yeah, Newcastle have got a home game against Birmingham, so it, it's not the easiest game that they're in the playoff positions. I know they lost at the weekend against Barnsley, but they've been doing relatively well this season, and I think a, a genuine contender for a playoff spot. So it's going to be a tough game, especially as we're coming in on off the back of three defeats. We're definitely going to be there to be got at. The crowd might get a bit frustrated if we don't get that early goal. And without Shelby as well, we're going to have to sort of rejig our formation, maybe bringing somebody else in to play that role. And I'm not sure we have anybody too suited to that. So it's going to be interesting. I do think we're going to win this game, though. I, I think I can't see us going four games without four games defeats anywhere. And I think I, I think we're going to get that win. I don't think it's going to be uh, an entertaining game. I don't think there's going to be a lot of goals, but I can see us nicking it. Maybe Dwight Gale getting back to scoring ways and we'll get that win. I think it's very important to get the win. I, I don't think we can have another another weekend without a win. I think um, there's already fans growing a bit, little bit discontented on Twitter, which I think is a bit ridiculous. We 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 just won nine games on the spin before this. We're going to get defeated in this league, and I don't think we we're really to blame for the one last week. So I think we're going to win it. I don't think it's going to be pretty. I think I don't think it's going to be a game for the neutral, but I think we'll get the three points and get our promotion push back on the right track. So, yeah, I'll say a Newcastle win. But with that, we are now out of time. So if you would like to tell people where they can reach you or anything you're involved in, now would be a good time. 
Yeah, uh, as I said at the start, my name's Thomas, and uh, yeah, you can get me at Wolves Blog on Twitter or at facebook.com forward slash Wolves Blog or directly on my website, which is wolvesblog.com. Yeah, the best place for me is Twitter. My personal account is at Matty Cutler or my podcast, the SB Weekly Podcast, um, is at SB Weekly Podcast. Um, yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, and you can get my Twitter at Jake Jackman with two N's. I wrote for EPL Index and The Boot Room, among various other sites. So if you give me a follow on Twitter, you'll see everything I write on there. And just thank you, everybody, for listening. And we hope you join us again soon. Bye.